This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. The Cindy Adams Show. I am going to speak to Howard Safer. He was our 39th commissioner, our police commissioner, from 1996 to 2000. First, Howard, we have enough problems now, but tell us the tumult of those years. Giuliani was mayor, was he not? He was. Tell me, tell me, what was it like those it was great. We reduced crime more than any administration ever. Uh, we made the city the safest large city in America, and we did it through assertive policing. When you came in, it was junky the way it is now. Is that not the truth, or don't I remember correctly? It was beginning to change. Bill Bratton before me had made some progress. And then we accelerated it and kept it going until uh, we had reduced crime to really acceptable levels. Not that any crime is acceptable, but lower than it had been in 40 years. I'm not going to ask you yet, but I will ask you how you did it. First, give us, not everybody might remember Howard Safer as well as I do. Tell us your background. I know all about your uncle. We'll talk about that in a minute. But your own background. Well, I started my career with the New York State Parkway Police. And then I became a federal narcotic agent, uh, which became DEA. I I rose to the rank of assistant director of DEA. And then I became chief of the Federal Witness Protection Program. And then I became chief of all operations for the U.S. Marshal Service. And then Rudy asked me to become fire commissioner, which I did for two and a half years, and then I became police commissioner. One of the things that maybe not everyone knows, but the wonderful story about your uncle. Tell us about your uncle and who he was, because it's a great, great story before we go into New York City today. Well, growing up, I had an, an uncle. His name was Louis Weiner. Uh, he was a New York City detective, and he became a New York City first-grade detective, which is quite an accomplishment. And before that, he was a Marine, and he was a Marine in World War II. He was, a, to me, a hero. He fought at Okinawa and Guadalcanal with the 1st Marine Division and was always my idol and role model, and I wanted to be like Uncle Lou. So uh, I always knew I wanted to go into law enforcement, and I joined the Marines in uh, 1960, 1960. What about your uncle's, what didn't he, didn't he capture the bank robber? Yes, he was. He us, tell us about famous. that, please. Yeah, my, my uncle became very famous as a New York City detective because he arrested Willie Sutton. Yeah. Willie Sutton. Willie Sutton was on the FBI's 10 most wanted list, yeah. and he was a famous bank robber, and he was famous because he supposedly was asked why he robbed banks, 
And he said, that's because that's where the money is. I, re- I remember that. I absolutely, whatever happened to him? He died in prison, I guess, but whatever happened to him? Uh, he, he was convicted of many bank robberies, and I, I think he got sentenced to 40 or some odd years. So uh, I assume he probably did die in prison. A, a, a man who would have captured him, like your uncle, does anything special get done for your uncle? Does he get upgraded in the police department or something? He did. He was a second-grade detective, and he got promoted to first grade, which is as high as you can go as a detective. Listen, if you were back with us as top cop now, what would you do about the gun situation today? Tell us, please. Well, I would reinstitute the street crime unit that we had. I would continue the policy that we had at the time of stop, question, and frisk, which which I have to point out was done constitutionally at the time. And that sends a very clear signal to criminals that they need to be afraid of police. We don't want the public to be afraid of police, but we want criminals to know that if they're carrying guns, if they're committing crimes, they have a certainty of arrest. And that was the message that we sent. And because of it, we we reduced crime in double figures. We reduced homicides to the lowest figures in decades. And criminals knew that we were out there and they were going to get arrested, unlike what's happening today. Why, Why can't that be replicated now? Well, well, it can, but it takes a number of things. One, it takes changing these crazy bail laws that we have, because right now somebody gets arrested, for instance, carrying a gun. They're out on the street that day or the day after. They get arrested for carrying a gun again, and they get put right back out on the street. Uh, And it's even worse. We have people who were convicted of assault and murder who were put back out on the street and committed additional assaults and murders. So, you know, police are only one-third of the judicial system. You know, there's the prosecutors and the courts. And if the prosecutors are like the prosecutors we have in New York who refuse to do their job and and enforce the law, and we have legislators in Albany who pass these crazy bail laws where everything is not bail eligible, then basically criminals say, why shouldn't I go in and smash and grab things in in Nordstrom's or Macy's or wherever, because I'm not going to get prosecuted for shoplifting. I'm going to get a desk appearance ticket, and I'm going to be out on the street the next day. Okay. But if you do were able to do that then, why can we not do that now? I understand what you're saying, but why isn't there someone out there telling us how to handle this why is this situation in New York City becoming so aggressive that people like me won't walk out for dinner? I won't walk for three blocks. Tell me, Howard, how can that be adjudicated? Well, it can be fixed. But you know, first, let me say it's not the police department. Commissioner Sewell is a good commissioner. She knows what she's doing. She has a great background. She was a real cop. But she has to be given the instructions by those in charge, that she can go and do what she knows how to do. What's happened is all of these leftist organizations 
have said the stop, question, and frisk is racist and is unconstitutional, which is totally untrue. The fact is the people who benefit the most from stop, question, and frisk are the people in those underserved and minority communities who are the major victims of crime. Well, well, how can a police commissioner, she doesn't have the ability, or she's hamstrung, and she always reads instead of speaks to us, and there's always Eric Adams standing behind her. We understand that she is limited to a certain degree. What could she do? We don't even see what she could do. Well, you know, she she, she started somewhat. She, she put the plainclothes units back on the street. But again, it comes down to if you can't get these people incarcerated and keep them in jail, they're going to just go back out and do the same thing. Plus the fact that, you know, Rudy was single-yearly directed to reduce crime in this city. And he was not afraid of leftist people saying, that they didn't like what he was doing because he knew that reducing crime was what the public really wanted. And that's why he was so popular when he was mayor, because he did reduce crime. You know, Cindy, I did 76 town hall meetings when I was commissioner. Yeah. And I didn't hear about police brutality. I didn't hear about offensive policing. I heard that they wanted more police in their communities so they could be safe. And that's really what the public wants. Unfortunately, what we're doing is we're listening in this woke generation to the loudest voices. We're not listening to the people who really deserve to be protected. So if a police commissioner is today hamstrung, as you have already said, how can the daily robberies be stopped? How? How? Who's going to stand there and say to a guy, no, put it down, and or he's going to get a bullet in his head. How? What's the way to stop it? Well, you know, what's happening, and sadly what's happening, is uh, some of these big stores are hiring private security with guard dogs. Uh, I know, prevent yeah. And, and, and that's ridiculous because that's, that's not the private sector's responsibility. That's the government's responsibility. We need to protect... People, we need to protect businesses, and you can't do it if people are not going to get prosecuted. I mean, you know, we have the best policemen in the world. We have the best police department in the world. But they need to be given the latitude to do what they know how to do. And unfortunately, that does not appear to be the case right now. Okay. That's, so it's the woke situation. I got that. It's the woke situation by, about many things. I understand that. Tell me about your feelings about marijuana and gambling and, and many other things that are coming into our city, which is not my cup of tea. But tell me what you think. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm certainly uh, these days, I guess, in the minority. But I have always believed that marijuana was a gateway drug. I spent most of my life dealing with and arresting people uh, who were dealing in marijuana. And I I believe that we should not legalize something that changes your psyche, not for the the good. And I I don't think I've ever met a heroin or meth meth addict who didn't start with marijuana. So, you know, 
that's my opinion. It's the opinion of most of the people I know in law enforcement, but it is certainly not the opinion of the general public, as we see by these polls. So you're going back to the same problem that we have from the one thing to the other thing. There's no way to undo something that's been done already. Is that correct? It's it's very hard. But, you know, I have always said that 80 percent of the crime in this country has a nexus to drugs and guns. If you deal with drugs and guns, which is what I did when I was police commissioner, you reduce crime and you make the city safe. And and but then again, I can't. You know, I, I'm saying this over and over, but it's it's really critical. You know, cops can go out and arrest people with guns. Cops can go out and make drug cases, but if they don't get prosecuted, it doesn't mean anything. So the current police situation, they don't want to come to you for any of your opinions from the old days. Is that it? Well, I'm sure. I, well, nobody in New York has asked my opinions. Others have. But uh, and, you know, uh, I don't to be honest, uh, I think Commissioner Sewell knows what to do. I certainly know that the chiefs and the cops know what to do, but they need to be unleashed to do it. Okay, I got that. You yourself, you played yourself on NYPD Blue. What was that like and what how did you know how to play yourself? You're not an actor. What what did you do? <laughs> you're a lousy actor. What did you do? You're right. I'm. A, you're right. I am a lousy actor. <laughs> but it was easy because I played the commissioner. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So you didn't know how to do that either. Okay, go ahead. How did you know how to do to play yourself? Well, you know, uh, one. I'm probably a bit of a ham in my <laughs> yeah. in my own head. But uh, the people, you know, Stephen Bochco and uh, Jimmy Schmidt and uh, the whole cast were incredibly helpful. Uh, they gave me, I think I had 10 or 15 lines, but it was all about things I did. I, what I did on NYPD Blue was I promoted Jimmy Schmidt's to first grade detective. And that was <laughs> something I do every day. So I know how to do that. Oh, I see. I see. Okay. Now, let me let me go sideways. This is not your thing at the moment, but you were fire commissioner. What is that kerfuffle that we just had with the fire chief that nobody ever heard of in the first place? Who Who, who is it? Who was she? How did she become fire chief? I don't know anything about her background. I know she worked in the government, but, I, but she had no fire experience, but neither did I. But I had uniformed first responder experience, and I had managed large organizations I knew how to manage large organizations. I knew how to how to lead. Uh, you know, there, there's one thing that my uncle Lou did tell me that there's two ways to manage, either with a velvet glove or a sandpaper glove. And the sandpaper glove usually doesn't work too well. And that's kind of what happened in the fire department. Uh, she demoted three chiefs without telling her staff, and oh. that's you know. And, okay. the, and you have to understand that the fire department culture is unlike any other culture I've ever encountered. They are incredibly insolent, incredibly close-knit. Uh, when I used to promote somebody, I'd be promoting him and his family would be standing there, and there'd be three or four other people in fire department uniforms. So you know, they, they care about each other tremendously. They take care of each other very well. So when she promoted, when she demoted three chiefs, 
and didn't tell her senior chiefs. That That is something that's never been done before. Okay, so we're talking about dumb. So <laughs> let me ask some other things. Have you ever, in all of your history, Howard Saver, you've been fire commissioner, you've been New York City police commissioner, have you ever been really scared? Oh, everybody is scared. I, you know, I worked undercover for six years. Uh, I was involved in shooting, which where unfortunately I shot somebody who had a gun. Ooh. But you know, of, you know, I heard this definition of bravery the other day. Bravery is when you're scared to death, but you do what you have to do. And okay. I think that's I think that's really true. Anybody who says they're not scared when they're in a situation where they can get hurt is just not telling the truth. Everybody gets scared. Would you want your kid to be a top cop? Well, you know, my daughter is a retired FBI agent, and she did very well. Uh, if they have the calling, because that's what it is. Cindy, it's not a job. I used to tell people I never worked a day in my life because I loved what I, what I did. I went to work every day saying, I can't believe they pay me to do this. My wife used to say, they really don't. <laughs> but, no, I got that. Tell me about but, the subways. How can we improve the situation on the subways? More cops, is that it? More cops, and I saw recently that crime, at least for the last month, has gone down significantly on the subways. Police presence is very important. And this one thing, which is something that I, I really believe in, you have to enforce the fair jumping law. How? How? Very simple. You see somebody jump over a turnstile, you arrest them. You don't see a lot of it. But you do see a lot of it. If you're looking for it, we arrested lots of people for jumping over uh, subway turnstiles and solved drug cases, murders, took guns off the street. Before the Giuliani administration, there were 250,000 people a month evading public, public subway fares. It was like an Olympic sport. We started enforcing it. The subways became safer. We solved a bunch of crimes. We had the, you probably don't remember this, but we had a horrific assault of a woman in Central Park because incredible brain damage. And then a woman who owned the cleaning store was murdered the next day. We caught that guy because we had fingerprinted him jumping over a subway turnstile. Oh, wow. Okay, okay. Before I let you go, just tell us now what you are doing now. We don't know. Well, I'm I'm on a number of public company boards, and I'm on a number of pro bono boards, and that's what keeps me busy. And uh, my son, who took over my consulting business, occasionally rolls out the commissioner for advice and things that he's doing in other cities. But, you know, I'm getting uh, mature, which is spelled O-L-D. <laughs> and uh, as, I, as I get older, I want to spend more time with my family, with my grandkids. But I'm always available for anybody who needs advice or help. And like I said, I've been reached out to by people not in New York City uh, for advice and help. And when that happens, I go and I help. Okay, I'm about to ask you just one thing and let you go. Will we still have a nice, large New York police department coming down 
in the future? Well, I believe that. I believe that, you know, politics and law enforcement are are cyclical. I believe in seven-year cycles. Uh, I saw what it took about seven years for de Blasio to undo everything that Rudy and Bloomberg <laughs> <Yeah>. did. <laughs> And so I, I, I think we will see another cycle. And, you know, New York is a wonderful, resilient city. The NYPD will continue to do well. They just need to have the other two-thirds of the justice system work with them. And that's not happening now. Thank you, Howard Safer, for talking to me. I love talking to you. I love you. Thank you, sweetie. All the dish that's fit to air. Cindy Adams is on.